I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. It took three weeks, but FBI investigators finally made it to the crime scene in Benghazi, Libya, where Ambassador Chris Stevens and three other Americans were killed last month. President Obama has promised to bring those responsible to justice. The inquiry, though, has been hampered by security concerns. In a moment, we'll hear more on the Islamist militant group suspected of being behind the attack. First, we turn to Washington Post reporter Michael Birnbaum in Benghazi. He says the FBI team didn't stay long in the city. Well, they were here for less than 24 hours. They were here for about four and a half hours. And I have to imagine they weren't able to do much at the crime scene. I'm told by Libyan Interior Ministry officials that they stopped by the U.S. mission compound for just over an hour, running through it, basically taking a look and collecting some evidence, but not doing much. And after they visited that, they went to a local market that's called the Two Dinar Market. It's known for its cheap wares and stolen merchandise. So it sounds as though they were looking to see if any equipment or materials from the U.S. compound had turned up there. But they came in at about 2 o'clock p.m., according to the Libyans, and left at 6.30 p.m., so they really were not here long. Uh, I mean, this is a crime scene. Uh, You know, four Americans in the diplomatic service were were killed, a major fire, storming of of the mission there. Who is investigating it? There is a Libyan government investigation, but I've talked to many, many witnesses who have said they haven't been contacted either by the Americans or by Libyans. And the crime scene itself at the U.S. mission remains today unguarded. I just drove by it, in fact, an hour ago to take a look, and there's nobody there. Are there any theories at this point as to how Ambassador Chris Stevens was left alone at the mission with so little security? as though from documents that I found earlier in the week at the compound, that the Americans at the mission, the security office there, they were in the middle of working out some revised arrangement with the Libyan militia that had been providing the compound with security since the revolution last year. But they didn't have a large presence there. They had three armed guards, and there were a couple of unarmed contractors several of whom had told me that they had shared security concerns with the Americans that very day, September 11th. From all accounts, Ambassador Chris Stevens was tremendously comfortable in Benghazi, maybe too comfortable. He spent a lot of time here during the revolution. He had lots of friends. And judging by his actions in the days leading up to the attack, he truly felt at home in this city. I think it, it sounds as though he had a false sense of security in Benghazi. Washington Post reporter Michael Birnbaum there speaking with us from Benghazi. U.S. officials suspect the attack against U.S. diplomats there was carried out by a militant group called Ansar al-Sharia. Financial Times correspondent Borzu Daragahi has been investigating the group. These are hardline uh, Salafist Islamists. Uh, That means they belong to a a school of Islamic thought that believes that Muslims should uh, live as the Prophet Muhammad and his companions lived in the 7th century. And they also are, uh, I I guess, what you would describe as jihadis. You know, they believe in uh, militant jihad. They are very hardline in their their outlook. Um, I spoke to one uh, associate of the group who actually said that even Libyans who uh, don't uh, subscribe to uh, his uh, school of Islam must be uh, forced to uh, abide by the the pieces of the type of Islam he and his uh, followers 
espouse because that's the way it is in the Quran. And if they don't like it, they can live in another country. And what's their relationship to the Arab Spring? Did they exist before the uprising in Libya or is it, are they a product they, of it? They did not. They did not exist before the uprising in, in Libya, although many of their uh, members uh, took part in the uh, fight against Muammar Gaddafi last year. They formed uh, quite a bit after the uprising as a way of promoting a certain brand of politics. They wouldn't see it that way. They see themselves as you know, warriors in a, in a good fight that, you know, sort of a continuum that started with the revolution. Now, tell us about what's happened to the group since uh, all these demonstrations in Benghazi uh, against the uh, so-called anti-Islamist video. They seem to have disbanded, right? Yeah, they actually voluntarily disbanded, very angry, very bitter about what happened, the feeling that they've been scapegoated, and they've gone underground. They've taken their weapons that included, you know, the standard issue uh, Kalashnikov that every Libyan seems to have, as well as more uh, medium and, and heavy weapons, and they've disappeared with them. Authorities in uh, Libya are quite worried uh, right now because, you know, these guys were hardcore they were quite scary, but at least before this uh, wave of uh, protests against the Islamists a couple of weeks ago, people were keeping an eye on them. And now uh, no one's quite sure what happened to them and uh, what they're plotting. Does the government have a strategy on what to do now? You know, uh, Marco, when you talk about Libya right now, the, the word government is a very loose term. They don't even have a government, much less a strategy. The country, thanks to Gaddafi in large part, does not have any real institutions. Law enforcement is not in Libya the, the, the way that we would think of law enforcement. For four decades, it served no one other than Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, when they talk about internal security, what they meant was protecting Muammar Gaddafi from internal threats. When they talked about external security, it was about uh, protecting Muammar Gaddafi from foreign threats. And so now they're building these institutions from scratch. Uh, and a lot of the people who are leading this effort are civilians who have no experience in terms of tracking and monitoring these types of groups. Borzu Daragahi, the Middle East correspondent for the Financial Times.